Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, Editor-in-Chief of Eater. And I am Daniel Janine, a producer at Eater. Uh, Amanda, I feel like it has been, although we've touched on it, I feel like it's been a while since we've talked about the government stimulus plan and how it has been affecting restaurants. And there's some new information. So Yeah, there is a timely aspect to this. The, The unemployment checks are running out today. So... Daniel, we are going to talk to Ryan Sutton, who is the who critic is the, the wonkiest person on Eater staff. New York, yeah, and the critic of Eater New York, yes, but wonky. so wonky, in fact, that uh, I, I think it was last week he took some time off, and there was uh, something came out about the 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 weeds of like uh, tipping tipped minimum wage discussion in Congress uh-huh. or whatever. And everyone was like, oh, man, can't believe Ryan isn't here to see this. <laughs> can't believe can't believe Sutton. This. this is Sutton's um, Christmas. Just as restaurants have had to pivot and to turn into grocery stores and takeout spots, Ryan Sutton has pivoted from reviewing fancy ass restaurants to writing about policy mm-hmm. news. And then uh, just as some restaurants have pivoted to grocery stores and takeout concepts. Some have not. There is a massive new opening in Chicago, a restaurant called Ever, which is another one of these giant, not giant, but uh, insanely intricate fine dining restaurants. And they are opening Mm -hmm. uh, effectively, and they are opening, I guess, in the way that they intended to always open right in the middle of the pandemic. So we brought on Ashok Selvam from Chicago to talk about that. And then me and you, you know, back at the shop, you and I talk about some lighter stories, some emus, some outdoor dining. First, uh, here is Ryan Sutton. Actually, before that, please remember, if you like the show, subscribe on all the platforms, send it around to a friend. Just, you know, support support the show in any, in, in any way you can. And here is Ryan Sutton. Right now, Republicans and Democrats in the United States are arguing over what the next step should be to help small business owners and help people who are unemployed. Uh, Current programs, including the $600 a week check to unemployed American citizens, is running out today, today, Mm -hmm. Friday. Um, So... A decision has yet to be made, but they're still talking about it. So we brought on Ryan Sutton to tell us what's up. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Doing all right. Ryan, actually, you know, I don't think we've really we've touched on the Paycheck Protection Program a couple times in the last few months. But um, would you mind just catching it up, catching us up on what's happened with it since it was uh, since they moved the original deadline? Sure. So the the Paycheck Protection Program uh, is the federal government's chief lifeline 
uh, to small businesses, uh, small businesses and kind of air quotes, because uh, I believe, uh, especially in the restaurant industry, uh, venues with, you know, up to 500 people spread across multiple locations can apply, which is why we saw initially venues like Shake Shack and, and what have you applying for them. Uh, venues like Shake Shack ended up uh, turning, uh, giving back those loans. Uh, but the Paycheck Protection Program, in a nutshell, uh, is designed uh, to give businesses money. Um, it starts out as a loan. If you end up using uh, the loan in the right way, uh, according to federal guidelines, which is mostly to hire back staff and pay them about as much as they used to make uh, and to keep most of them on, uh, that, learn, that loan turns into a grant. It becomes a forgivable loan and you don't have to pay it back. Um, and so that's, in theory, uh, a good thing. Um, the, the tough side of the PPP is that for a lot of businesses, they had a hard time staffing up again, uh, because restaurants mm -hmm. were closed during COVID and still are largely closed and especially in New York, except for, uh, outdoor dining. Uh, and so there is a little bit of good news on that front in that, uh, Congress, uh, about a month or two ago made the paycheck protection program a little bit more amenable to small businesses, especially restaurants, um, by saying they only had to use 60% of loans uh, on uh, hiring back people or paying for payroll uh, in order for them to become forgivable. I know this is complex stuff. And in addition to that, uh, the forgiveness wouldn't be messed around with uh, if there were legitimate reasons they couldn't staff up again. Uh, and, and that's a little bit more complex details of that. But but in a nutshell, it's the chief central lifeline of the federal government to small business. And it started off being not a great program and it ended up being a better program that more businesses could use. That's that's what's important. Yeah. And it came out as part of the CARES Act, right, which was the two trillion dollar government stimulus right. plan. It came uh, out of the CARES Act. It ran out of money pretty quickly. Uh, initially, the Paytech Protection Program, it, it, it seemed like banks were uh, fast-tracking larger businesses rather than true small businesses. Then the fund got re-upped, and a lot more small businesses uh, were able to access it. And, and a, a whole ton of restaurants in New York uh, were able to uh, take advantage of it, which is a, a pretty cool thing. There's still problems with it, um, but whereas the initial tranche of loans uh, ran out pretty quickly, um, the Paycheck Protection Program still has money left in it. And, and people are, are still withdrawing from it, as I understand. Uh, and so it, it, is it a success? Hard to say, uh, but it's better than it was initially. And it, it seems like Congress finally started paying attention to restaurants in terms of restructuring the program to, you know, tailor it to what they need. So, Kent, the new, new development is the HEALS Act. They, they love their acronym. <laughs> Can you talk about, I mean, it is not passed, and I don't know if they'll have the votes to pass it, but can you talk about what the... Uh, GOP is proposing in the HEALS Act. Right. So uh, if we want to talk about what the GOP is proposing in the HEALS Act, and I don't I don't think anyone has really seen the text of this bill. Think Things are really a, a mess, as I understand, on the Republican front. On the Paycheck Protection Program front, uh, they're allowing restaurants and other small businesses to take a second draw. And that's important because with the first round of the Paycheck Protection Program, for lack of a better term, you could only take out one loan and it was tied to 2.5 times monthly payroll. Uh, now, it looks like if that wasn't enough, you're a small restaurant, you'll be able to take that out again. It's going to be targeted to businesses that experienced a 50% reduction in gross revenues and the employee cap would be 300 or fewer employees. So in, in that sense, it's 
it's really focusing on on restaurants hit the hardest or small businesses hit the hardest, uh, which is theoretically a, a good thing. There are a lot of bad things in this Republican proposal known mm-hmm. as the Heals Act. Um, but from the and also 25 billion is set aside for um, businesses with 10 or fewer. So even more that they're trying to just funnel that direction. Correct. And I, and I think part of that um, and I don't have my uh, I believe for that second part uh there'll be uh, loans with a 1% interest rate uh, for uh, hard hit businesses, which is pretty cool. Um, And so, yeah, and that's kind of the positive side of what Republicans are doing, or it appears to be positive. I would add one more thing, which is they are letting the forgivable expenses apply to costs, including masks, plexiglass shields, et cetera, um, which I think is another positive in that at the first round, a lot of restaurateurs complained that their PPP loans couldn't be used to help them make investments to make their restaurants safer. No, that's that's hugely important. I didn't know that. And so I, I learned something about that just now. Uh, and you're right. The, 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 the first round of PPP stuff, you could only use it on a very set number of things, um, uh, you know, rent, uh, utilities, uh, paying back interest on a mortgage. To be specific, you couldn't pay back the mortgage yet, paying back interest on the mortgage. And so if they'll be able to, you know, uh, spend money on PPP, that's a good thing. Uh, another proposal I heard being banded about by uh, Treasury Secretary uh, Mnuchin was that there's a rumor, and I haven't seen this in print yet, that he will make all the PPP loans completely forgivable, just regardless uh, for all the loans that were $150,000 or less which is a whole lot of them. Will that actually come to pass? We don't know. Uh, But it shows that regardless of what we think of the administration and and the Republicans, they are at least being somewhat responsive on the PPP front to making things better and and more amenable uh, to small business. And that's ultimately a good thing. And it also is a little more in line with, I guess, Republican thought, like they do care about small businesses. Um, However, I think we should talk about the employees uh, who are out of work and what will happen to them uh, if the current proposals uh, were to go through? That's a good segue, and I think you really, uh, uh, you really said it uh, sharply. And that the Republicans seem to focus more of their smart attention, uh, if that could be said, on on small business and business than on the workers themselves. Uh, and and that's a big deal. And so essentially, what's happening right now is that in in the Back to the Cares Act, which passed, you know. Uh, Earlier in the spring, unemployed workers were able to receive $600 a week in addition to their state weekly unemployment benefits. Uh, So essentially in New York, uh, if you were a restaurant worker at a job and you're a high earning restaurant worker, uh, you could claim up to around, you know, $4,400 a month, which is not bad. For most restaurant workers, that would cover your entire salary. For some restaurant workers, it would cover more than your entire salary, which is pretty cool, Mm -hmm. which meant you had uh, a little extra money to save and, 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 and put in the bank, which is pretty cool. That money uh, essentially already ran out in New York. Uh, New York workers received their final checks. Um, I believe the final checks went out over the course of the past week. Uh, Most of those checks have already expired throughout the country, and Republicans want to do something different. They don't want to re-up those $600 checks. Uh, They want to cut it down to $200 for the first two months, Mm -hmm. and then after those two months, they want to peg to 70% of a worker's salary. Uh, so essentially, it's a huge reduction in benefits. And of course, the debate is, uh, is that the right decision to make? Um, because obviously, it costs money. And Republicans are arguing that's a disincentive uh, for workers uh, to go back to work. 
And that's why they're reducing the benefits. Now, I have a, that's, those are the facts. I obviously have a very strong opinion on the matter, but I'll let you guys chime in. Well, I also want to just add, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me or just talk about why can't the unemployment checks be pegged to your actual salary? If you made TK dollars a week, why can't you get TK dollars a week in this? And the answer is the labor department has said it's Im- almost impossible to do that. It's just so hard to mm-hmm. actually crunch the numbers on that. Uh, and it's like the bureaucratic answer, but it's what's real. And so that's why they picked $600 because they thought it was a good average that it would get people through. It would help people in this moment. Um, so the 70% of what they're making is going to come up against the same issue, which is just getting it through. Like can the labor departments at the various levels even do that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, just to put that in perspective, when states had to issue that flat rate, the $600 a week, states were already overwhelmed. Um, I believe as of you know mid or early July, uh, California, which is you know, one of the largest economies in the world by itself, had millions of unpaid claims. And that's on a very easy perspective. They just had to pay the flat rate. But their computer systems uh, uh, you know, across the country in terms of states were so antiquated uh, that they had a hard time paying out these claims. Remember in New York back in April, uh, there were backlogs for well over a month. So now to expect the mm-hmm. states to do something even more complicated, to have that 70% formula added in, however it's added, because uh, it would probably be about 50% paid by the states and probably about 20% paid by the federal government, because right now most state unemployment systems pay half your wages. That would be a pretty tough bar to clear when things are already difficult at the state level. And so by any smart order of reasoning, one would think that you'd simply continue what's already working, uh, not just because of uh, we live in this bureaucratic nightmare of 50 different states and 50 different systems, but also because, and I think this is not unimportant, the economy is getting worse on many multiple levels. And also the idea is this is supposed to incentivize people to go back to work. So you're getting paid more than you would make at work. If you're on the unemployment right now, there's a world in which you could be making more than you would be making at your job. So if they lower that, it incentivizes you to go back to work. Mm-hmm. Even if we took aside the fact that it might be dangerous to go back to work, are there all the jobs right now? Uh, no, uh, there there aren't all the jobs right now. Uh, and that's a, a huge deal. Um, right now uh, in New York City, about 60% of food and drink workers don't have a job. Um, that's in our industry. But if we look more broadly, uh, the New York City overall unemployment rate is over 20%. Uh, that's nearly Great Depression level unemployment. And when you have 20% of the entire population unemployed, that's not because the place you worked for had a bad quarter, your boss made a bad investment. It's not business cycle stuff. That's because there's a huge external event that's affecting the economy. So no, uh, these jobs aren't here and they don't appear to be coming back anytime soon. You know, just look at any chart for restaurant industry unemployment right now. And it's not a V, it kind of looks like an L, which is another way of saying it went down really sharply. And it's only been kind of creeping up here and there over the course of a few months. So it's, it's not a question of incentives. I mean, we could debate incentives as well, but it's more of the fact that there simply aren't jobs. And it's probably too dangerous for a lot of people to go back to work. 
and they're not going to be able to get those jobs uh, when they go looking for work. So there's no reason to incentivize them right. to go sending out a thousand different job applications. Uh, and this is the time that Americans arguably need to have money in their bank accounts so they can pay their rent, they can pay their mortgage, they can pay their college tuition. And equally importantly, it's going to sound weird so they can go out to stores and start buying stuff because consumer spending is the engine that drives the U.S. economy. That's a huge part of GDP mm -hmm. growth. We found out today that on an annualized basis, GDP was down, I think, 32.9%, you know, uh, which is a lot, which means our economy is in bad shape. <laughs> And uh, just you don't yeah. do that by getting people to apply for jobs that don't exist. You, you, you fix things by giving people money, which is what they need right now. Or sorry, just to be a little bit fair on the on the other end, though, and just in our industry, you do hear it occasionally that uh, restaurants do have some jobs and the workers are incentivized not to take them because they are making more. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a real it's a real concern. It's a real complaint. There are people who are making more sitting at home than working as a barista mm -hmm. and so they're not going to go back to their barista job and then the owner of the coffee shop is complaining about that um loudly on the radio, but it still wouldn't even if everyone went back to work, there wouldn't be enough jobs for them. But right. but also on the subject of incentives, and I think this is also a real concern. You know, I think we've all been hearing about people who've been coming back to work and they're not earning the same that they were earning previously because business dropped at mm -hmm. restaurants. And so that's another, you know, huge thing that, you know, people are trying to rethink whether they should be in the restaurant industry in the first place. Um, and so yeah. something to think about as well. Uh, and what labor activists hope is that by having people earn more on uh, unemployment, so to speak, it would hopefully possibly give them leverage to, you know, earn more wages and negotiate for better wages when they come back to work. And of course, uh, it's hard to negotiate mm -hmm. for better wages when owners aren't making a whole lot in the first place. So there are, there, there are myriad problems here on multiple right. different levels. You know, no one has a, a clean cut solution to this problem that involves paying more to business owners and paying more to employees and, and, and consumers go in and get their cup of coffee and everyone's better. Uh, these are hugely complex problems. Right. And At the end of this week, this hasn't been figured out. Are people just going to have to go without any assistance while we wait for the government? Uh, publications like Politico and others uh, have suggested that it is almost inevitable that there will be an interruption uh, in federal unemployment benefits. Uh, and the reason is simple. Uh, these are hugely complex systems, and uh, even if Congress were to pace, you know, pass something uh, today or tomorrow, uh, it's not exactly just turning on back a, a, light, a light switch. Uh, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, and of course, we don't expect to have a deal between Democrats and Republicans uh, the next couple of days. Um, it will probably mm -hmm. take longer. Uh, we are hitting up against a barrier. Congress goes on recess, I believe, on August 5th. And so there needs to be a deal before then if uh, Americans don't want to be totally screwed. But generally speaking, starting right about now, uh, Americans are going to see those $600 checks disappear, and they're going to revert back to state unemployment benefits, where it's about half your regular salary up to a cap. And so that's another way of saying Americans are going to have a lot less money in their bank accounts uh, immediately, even if Congress does something right now. And guess what? They're not going to do something right now because they're still far apart. I believe Republicans are trying to float this proposal to have a $200 per week benefit until they can figure things out. Uh, the Democrats naturally uh, don't like that because they want to move it back up to $600. Uh, the ball is in the Republicans' court right now because the Democrats already passed an extension of that $600 
um, weekly check back in May. And the Republicans only countered that proposal just a few days ago. Um, I would say that the ball is in the Republicans' court right now to come up with a better proposal that they can sit down and negotiate with the Democrats. But no, to answer your question, Americans are losing money and they're going to lose money right about now uh, because there is no deal. Let's all hope that our government officials can get together and fix this sooner rather than later. I imagine that the pressure will grow as people realize that their checks are not showing up this weekend. Uh, So hopefully this can get done. Ryan, thank you so much for your reporting and for your time. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Dan. Bye, Ryan. All right, Amanda, up next, we are bringing on Ashok Selvam to talk about a huge new opening, uh, star-chasing, ultra-fancy, fine-dining restaurant in Chicago called Ever, which is opening right smack in the middle of the pandemic. So we brought on Ashok Selvam. Is there anything you want to get to before we talk to Ashok? Yes, thank you for teeing me up like that, Daniel. Uh I I want to address some criticism I've seen online on social media about how much attention this restaurant is getting compared to other restaurants. First Mm -hmm. of all, you know, we cover any opening that will happen right now because we're so desperate for good news and for restaurant openings. But also it is very rare for such an ambitious fine dining concept to open right now. So I think it merits in general. How often do these like we for as much coverage as they get these insanely expensive palaces, these odes to fine dining? There's like maybe two or three in in major cities. Yeah. They open very infrequently. So for one to open in July 2020, like yeah. it's kind of not so and to open with the same plan. So anyway, I just want to give it a little caveat, like stand behind any kind of media frenzy in this moment. Mm-hmm. It almost is refreshing. Feels like old days. Back in the day, one of our favorite stories was Curtis Duffy, his business partner, and that the amazing lawsuits fallouts that they got in with their three Michelin star ultra fancy restaurant. So we have Ashok Selvam on the show. Ashok, would you mind just catching us up in Cole's notes on uh, on that story? Wow. Well, uh, Grace closed at the... Uh end of 2017. And by the way, it's, it's so great to be here. I just had to. <laughs> Thanks for coming back. Yeah. Now you're you're like a regular. Yeah, that's uh, my seat is warm now. I, I like it. It's comfy. <laughs> Curtis Duffy and uh, his uh, GM and longtime business partner, Michael Muser, whose father was a major league baseball manager, Tony Muser, who managed the hmm. Kansas City Royals. There's a little trivia for you, but they've been kind of waiting their turn uh, after Grace's demise because they have a non-compete clause with the the owner who they had a terrible falling out at uh, Grace. Uh, you know, Curtis and uh, Michael felt that they were the creative talents and they wanted more. They wanted to buy the restaurant and, uh, you know, it was a struggle. And I guess uh, the the closing of the restaurant was just a culmination of a lot of things, a lot of scuffles, a lot of walkouts, but uh, there, here we are. They found a space in Fulton market, which is a really hip part of town. It used to be meatpacking and uh, very pricey real estate there. And they built out a $5 million restaurant wow. called ever. And uh, Duffy, who is, you know, very, um, you know, pedigreed chef, uh, had a lot of acclaim. He is kind of vowed that ever will make Grace look amateurish. And (laughs) he talked to me last week a couple times. I walked through the restaurant and he is says, I still have that fire. 
there's like there's no point. He's got three Michelin stars tattooed underneath his right wrist. Oh my god! And, and he's like, "What's the point? You know, if you're not if you're not gunning for three stars or, or perfection, there's no point of uh, of opening a restaurant." So uh, it's been quiet, and now he's ready. He was supposed to open in the spring, but then we have a pandemic, and the uh, pandemic is a heck of a time to open a, a restaurant that is two hundred eighty five dollars a person. Perhaps the optics can are mm-hmm. are, wrong, are a little off for folks that can't. I guess appreciate fine dining and a tasting menu restaurant, but here we are. They didn't have much of a choice because they had to start paying those bills. Did they consider delaying, or it really was like we have to start paying rent now? We got to do something. Well, they had a lot of trouble sourcing. Like uh, user was telling me, we still don't have our full china, our full plateware from France. It's stuck. Uh, they they struggled with uh, you know f- vendors stopped answering the phones, and so that provided a natural delay. So mm-hmm. uh, there was that. I don't think they actually gave serious thought, or at least they didn't share with me, of, of uh, going past uh, July. Most places that have opened in these times have pivoted to some degree. Has ever? Or is it pretty much what they had planned, but with all these new safety precautions? Muser was like, and and he's a pretty dramatic guy, you know. He's like humming show tunes, and and he just looks at me and he just says, puts his arms up and like these things, these babies are are built for one thing only, and that's yeah. fine dining. And <laughs> they're not going to a general store concept, you know. Uh, Fulton Market's pretty fancy pants. You know, I don't I don't think that they're gonna sh- uh, sell meal kits. He did say that there's a possibility of doing to go because. Uh, if outdoor, uh, if indoor dining, which Chicago's at 20% capacity right now, if that goes away, they're they're in a little bit of a bind. There, there's a rooftop space where they have a little garden. Uh, mm-hmm. Consider Duffy isn't really a fan of that because they have to go up and uh, down an elevator. There's complications w- with that, but uh, it certainly is an option. Users like I think about it every day, <laughs> but I, I doubt you'll, you'll see ever the general store in our futures. Hmm. And what is it? What does it look like inside? It's very sci-fi esque. Uh, the 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 hallways are made. I guess I've been told of a hybrid Italian plaster. Uh, the walls are curved and they look like a. Mm-hmm. It it kind of looks like uh, it's leading to like the the holodeck at in uh and the USS Enterprise as Star Trek. <laughs> it's a little reference for all the kids at home. Uh, but there's also a room that is kind of odd it's the only room that actually has natural light and it has all these dehydrated items like herbs uh a mango with uh, aleppo uh dehydrated watermelon slices and the room they have all these items uh, about 75 of them dangling from the ceiling with uh black metal chains they're clipped to to them and at first it was supposed to be like Oh, let's all grab as much as we can in the pre-pandemic. They kind of wanted to do a Willy Wonka thing, but uh, that has all gone. And now it's supposed to just serve as a preview of the ingredient mm-hmm. that Duffy and company are going to use in their dishes. It's kind of neat how the light passes through there, but I, I, I don't know. It seems like it's a little bit... Uh, it's a little gluttony right now. It's, it's too much. When you talk about these limited capacities for reopening... A place like Ever, you know, I don't know how big the dining room is, but it seems possible that they would only ever have 
15 or 20 diners in the dining room at uh, for a, for a seating. So in some ways, doesn't that mean that they have the advantage of having already like a shit ton of space in their dining room that is not being filled up? Yeah, there are 14 tables inside. And yeah. uh, even a couple months ago when I talked to Muser, he was supremely confident. He was like, my, my restaurant is ideally built for a pandemic. We can control the number of people. It's we can fucking control, hilarious thing to say. Yeah, we can control the the flow of folks. Uh, it's actually uh, kind of interesting as Duffy was really known for his uh, vegetarian menu over at Grace, and he's nixing that. He says, I can have fewer people in the kitchen if we're only doing one menu. Right. Uh, that's going to lead to a safer environment. So, so strange. Everyone has a mask, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's uh, they have a, a fancy. I think it's a six thousand dollar table with the hand sanitizer and the mask right up front. It's wild. I think the thing that I find interesting about this is there's such an. Again, I don't blame anyone for this at all, but there's such an unfairness in the fact that like what he's saying is kind of right, right? Like he as a limited as like a very exclusive experience with a giant kitchen where chefs have their own kind of little hub is actually better set up for a pandemic like this one. Well, I think the jury's still out on how they'll do. You know, you still have to have enough people that want to go eat that thing and sit in a place for a long time. Sure. So I think while they have a lot of bluster, there's still some handicaps there. Yeah, they're booked for the first two months. And that's great because they have a lot of local excitement. But these restaurants mm-hmm. are also designed to be tourist destinations. And how many people are traveling right now? Like, uh, I wonder what's going to happen in the winter. But then again, outdoor dining is going to go away in, in, in Chicago. So, you know, you're not going to uh, want to dine in a polar vortex. So uh, folks are going to be very selective in when they eat and maybe ever gets a bump that way. And maybe folks that didn't normally uh, go to these uh, fine dining uh, spots are saving their money up and uh, finding uh, ever is a, is a choice. And Alinea's pop up, which is... I think even more expensive has done incredibly well. So I feel like that proves that there's a market there for these for these long fine dining courses or menus. Yeah, they did say that they're not going to do a special coronavirus item uh, like Alinea. They like <laughs> at the, uh, the other folks, and they also said, "Yeah, we're 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 not as expensive." We Duffy was very uh, serious in saying we want to give folks a chance to escape. You know, you know, there is no need to put this in the context of the pandemic. We don't have to remind folks that this mm-hmm. is going on. They're well Shots aware. Shots fired. And what's the mood? Uh, are people taking it seriously, or are, is everyone like online and in the in the food community poking fun at it? I think there's definitely sympathy that you know a, a restaurant needed to open. I think there's a little bit, not even fatigue. It's like why do we need another fine dining restaurant with a three-figure price? And that's something I try to, you know, question them about. Um, not, you know, it's it's the whole uh, Alinea response that this is art, you know, this is art and you don't understand art. And there's another segment is a lot of folks are suffering right now. Why do we need these luxurious spaces for where a lot of the elite dine? And mm-hmm. uh, there, there's mixed reaction. I, I think the folks that were going to like get booked their reservations two months before, they were always going to be excited. 
the the folks, especially the restaurant owners. I'm seeing a lot of kind of like you were saying, why is it fair when a high volume restaurant is suffering? Um, it's almost like why is ever what does ever get to see success? What what have we done differently? What do what do they deserve? And I, I think there's a little bit of resentment there. But if we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't think success is necessarily in the bag here. Well, we'll have to have you back in a couple months to check in. I also think there's something interesting in the opening of five di- fine dining restaurants that like the public, we get to experience a lot of that restaurant through the photos and through seeing the food um, and just like the shtick that they're putting out. Whereas if there's, you know, less expensive restaurants that have food that isn't presented in ridiculous ways, it's harder to, it's harder to, to, to feel what they're trying to put out from afar. So, I mean, I'd, I'd would love so? if I, yeah, I mean, like I would, I read this ever opening story a million times. Like I want to take in every detail of all those design choices and all of the different ways that the kind of abstract plates are being put together because it's, I feel like, yeah, you can't tell what the thing tastes like, but you can get almost there because so much of the experience happens before you actually eat anything. Well, I I think that applies to so many different types of restaurants. Like I read all of Eater and I was excited about this restaurant opening in North Carolina tomorrow that's has these cool like seafood towers you know so there's there's that's a seafood can, tower is an interesting visual that's right, an right. but it's not fine dining it doesn't you know it doesn't all have to be fine dining i think you can be transported in all of eaters coverage Daniel. from afar yeah well i <laughs> would uh, i don't disagree with that <laughs> um anyway. yeah i'm i'm psyched i love watching a, a, a spectacle thank you for the thank faith. you for uh thank you for joining us Thanks for the time. You're very welcome. On June 14th, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your team, Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello. I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. Okay, Daniel. So there is... We're back. We're back. We're back. Yeah. There's a restaurant reopening in North Carolina. It's pivoting. It was like kind of a fancy spot. It's turning into a more of a casual oh, to-go place. Yeah. And it was called St. James Seafood. Now it's called Jimmy's Dockside. Uh, it looks from the pictures, it looks amazing. Like I would love to eat any of this food. Uh, there's Mm. one funny thing though, because they were known for their seafood towers. They want to create an experience where you can make a seafood tower at home. So for those who miss the new, for those who miss the raw bar quote, ready to slurp cryovacked oysters are on the menu by the half dozen. So After being, sh- what did you first think when you read this? I thought, huh? <laughs> okay. And then, yeah. okay. So, after being shocked at the restaurant, oyster shells are placed back on top of the shell, mm-hmm. vacuum sealed in a plastic bag to keep it in place, and then vacuum sealed again in a bag with crushed ice to keep them cold and fresh on the drive home. Well, just so you know, I thought when I first heard it, I thought that the oysters were taken out of their shells and then vacpacked. And then you like cut the individual little backpacks open and just slurp them out like they were ketchup packets. You know, that might be better. Same deal, though. Why does this bother you so much? I, I, 
for I, me, it's like the idea that they shuck them and then close them again. Because effective, like when you receive this thing, if you just see it visually, you wouldn't know that they're shucked. So you open up the bag and then. I don't know if the top shell's put on or not. It seems to me in the reading that they they put the top shell okay. back on. Okay. I just think with fresh seafood, especially oysters, you want to eat it as soon as it's shucked. Mm-hmm. Right? So that is part of it. But also the vacuum packing twice, it adds right. this layer of fussiness that is the opposite of what I want when I'm eating oysters. Also, maybe I'm just bragging, but it's not that hard to shuck an oyster. Just yeah. sell people the oysters this and a whole shucking, segment and a was shucking just knife. For you to be I just nonchalant. wanted to let everyone know that I have shucked an oyster before. Yeah. Maybe just send people home with a knife and a little like instruction on how to do it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're going to get some people getting injured when that <laughs> when that happens. I mean, for Fair. sure. Okay. Fine. A couple problems. One, environmentally it's not great. The vac packing is one of the most wasteful ways of packaging things. Um but and here each each oyster, right? Well, I think what they do is they probably lay out ten of them on a on a sheet and then vac pack like a bunch of them together. Okay. I'm I'm guessing they don't backpack each oyster. If they did, that, like in its own little pod, that would be uh, insane. Mm-hmm. Counterpoint, all right? Because uh, to summarize your point, basically, you're taking away the freshness and the fun of the oyster game. Yes. By doing the work ahead of time. Yes. Sure. I, I agree with that. Counterpoint, oyster game right now is probably tr- terrible. So I am willing. I'm in support of this because I. I love oysters. Uh, oysters are one of the few proteins that you can feel good about eating because they are regenerative. Regenerative. Mm-hmm. They do more good on mass than they do bad for the environment. Uh-huh. So super exciting, pure protein. You know, uh, just <laughs> fucking epic for weightlifters. Um, I just want to do all I can in this moment to support the oyster industry. So. If but this maybe is going to a different dish made of oysters. Sure, cooked oysters. But who really gets no down one with likes, the cooked no oyster one likes cooked dish? Oysters. You're right. You're right. Here's what, you know what? This is probably, I think, a good point that you're making is this is probably a good time for people to learn to shuck oysters. Because what the fuck else are you doing? You what know? else are you doing? Just you should learn to shuck oysters. It's also a really cool thing for you to be able to do. Having said that, Amanda, real quick, I told you this another time, but it got cut out. So I'm going to tell you it again. And this time it's going to make it. Um, <laughs> this guy friggin' came over to my house <laughs> one time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for a party and I cooked a meal. Okay. And this guy shows up with a bunch of oysters and he was like, oh, I just brought these. So I stumbled into them, whatever. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, let's get them open fast. Cause like my window is closing for my food. And he just took forever, and it honestly it ruined the flow of the entire night. Everything from them from on from then on sucked because yeah. this guy honestly wasn't good enough at chucking oysters. Very to ostentatious. Make a thing move like that to bring to a party, especially I didn't even know him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's your move at a stranger's dinner party. That's very weird. Having said that, if you do it and bang them out, it's kind of cool. If you're gonna but do it, you better know what the hell you're doing. Oysters are probably not moving like restaurants wish they were. Mm-hmm right now but I, I respect the innovation in this this place you know what and um i'd be curious to know how they were doing i'd be curious to know if they're are they selling backpacked oysters is, are those flying out the door yeah i i respect this place as well i just find it very funny okay can i tell you so 
them going from St. James fancier to Jimmy's cute or too Jimmy, on the nose? Jimmy's dock side, a little on the nose. Uh, but great segue. I'm going cute. Great segue. Okay. Great segue. Dialogue. Yeah. You should know it because you know all fancy restaurants. It is a fancy ass restaurant in Los Angeles. Okay. Tasting menu spot. They have done their pivot, as many people are doing right now, to being more of a small plates alfresco affair. They're like, we refer to it as a pivot. Their new name is Tidbits by Dialogue. <sighs> so I'm not going to be mad about Jimmy's Dockside because it's not Tidbits by Dialogue. Yeah. I thought you were going to say small talk. <laughs> small talk would be better. <sighs> tidbits. Going to tidbits. Got a great Amanda, dish at tidbits tonight. Tidbits by dialogue. It's not up to me whether these things are cute or funny, especially it's not an appropriate time to cast judgment on people being trying to be funny when times are tough. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to leave it at that. All right. So I'm the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that Dialogue um, is Dave Barron, a wonderful chef, comes out of the Alinea crew. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that Alinea crew is behind the coronavirus dish, which, again, is defensible because it's art and it was not making light <laughs> of the environment. I will say that that it's an insular community where uh, ideas are formed and like any good artistic institution, they do not base their further creations on the reaction of the public. They just follow their hearts and their own creative impulses. Mm -hmm. And that can lead to some very good art. And that's where I'll leave it. Okay, cool. I mean, even tidbits, period, would be better than tidbits by dialogue. Like, why do you have to say, like, we get it. We get it. They've built a name, but, so they're making sure to capitalize on their name. I know, but it's a little presumptive to assume their name matters all that much in this moment. This, like, two-year-old fine dining restaurant. Look, they all, again, I'm torn about this. They all take themselves seriously, and but you have to. Yeah. You have to take yourself seriously, especially when you're doing ultra fancy food and fine dining. Like, but like what is Thomas Keller has casual places. Yeah. But those aren't converted. Like if French laundry was doing takeout right now, um, they wouldn't, if they did like, it'd be small talk by a, the French laundry. Or if they did like a quick scrub or whatever, mm -hmm. it would be by the French laundry because part of the reason people were excited to be, ha to try these pivots yeah. would be because of the, the, the umbrellas that they were, or the, the name brands they were, they were coming from. Look, I'm on board, okay? You're on board with Tibbets by Dialogue? Uh, with you. Oh, I'm on board. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, I think we can leave it at that. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you got? What do you got in the stock? What's next? This is like a really light, funny story. Um, an Australian Outback pub, according to the Washington Post, has banned uh, messy emus from their establishment for uh, bad behavior. And they've had to erect cages. Cages? Or to keep the... There are, they've had to erect barriers oh. to keep the, the birds out, not, not, <laughs> they've had not to erect cages. Emu cages to capture them. <laughs> yeah. Like just hearing what people are dealing with in these insanely remote parts of the world is kind of awesome. Supposedly the emus will eat whatever is on people's tables. Wow. Oh, this is the best. 
so this has been okay. The emus have been annoying to people outside, but the reason that this is an issue now is that the emus discovered they could climb the front stairs of this hotel, the only pub in uh, the only pub in the long re- long reach region of Queensland, Australia, population thirteen. Um, here's why the emus are a mess. When they get in a when they get a fright. They head in a forward direction, but normally look behind them so they can't see where they're going. And this is where chaos happens. <laughs> they bump into everything. That's what my daughter does. Really? <laughs> yeah. She runs into shit all the time because she oh, she never looks where she's going and will just run like full blast into a wall <laughs> and get like these huge bumps on her head. And it's just so disturbing. That's so scary. Like, now I know that she's like an emu. Well, the emus are doing because they're protecting their face while charging full speed. into something. <laughs> so what do they hit? They just like bang the side of their head. <laughs> <laughs> they just fucking bumper cars. I don't know. I mean, it's a good reminder that like whatever rodent or wildlife you're dealing with, whatever your situation is, because everyone has something. At least you're not dealing with emus. But emus seem like they're manageable. So, for sure. instance, they put up, they fences. finally figured out. Well, they put up a rope barrier, and the line is the inquisitive emus are not clever enough yet to duck under the rope to get inside the pub. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> so they're, they're like velociraptors, though. They're they're going to learn. <laughs> well, that, I mean, they learn to get up the stairs. Yeah. They're slowly going to encroach. They're, this bar is never going to have. Although you Luckily, know what? Luckily, it's went, population thirteen, so. It's fine. The guy said, we're in lockdown mode. At least it's emus and not coronavirus. Oh, okay. No coronavirus there? That's great. Good for them. The outdoor dining brings me to a a thing we've been seeing a lot of. There's been a a lot of trend pieces about, like, the most unfortunate outdoor dining setups. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you want to say about this? Did I want to say anything about this? I mean, I love how outdoor dining has transformed cities. Okay, that's a really favorable take. I mean, So me- my favorable take is you bike around any city right now and you see all these people having a great time outside. And it's kind of nice that the urban environment is being given over to people instead of cars. So a lot of- I think that's a great a thing. A lot yeah. of restaurants are getting to take over parking lots and parking spots. Uh, mm-hmm. And in New York especially, we give- a lot of valuable real estate to cars for free for free yeah it's wild right. it's wild so i really like that um the reason it's funny right now is because we're seeing photos of converted like kmart parking lots yeah yeah well and into there was a dining spaces there was a one picture that was circulating from the galleria in um outside los angeles where it was like a parking garage with all these tables and it looked very sad. But um, one of our contributors at Curbed, our sister site, went and had an amazing time, you know? <laughs> She's like, it's not that much different from some other like dining scenarios. Like, it was fine. It was kind of fun. I'm sure she had a nice time. I mean, it's lovely to eat outside, but I mean, it was. it's like in a, a floor of a parking garage. Right, but the cars aren't there. Like there aren't like a car would come up every once in a while to pick up something from like Bath and Body Works, but it's not like you're in the middle of a super busy active parking garage. Sure. But I think it's fair to say that there are objectively nicer environments in which you can eat a meal, including just the regular outdoors. Well, maybe it depends. You're at least you're covered. That's true. There are objectively worse places to have a meal. I mean, you and I have eaten on the subway. That's true. So. But that was nice. Yeah. See, it all depends on the context. 
Sure. I'm sure okay. we could have a lovely meal in a parking garage. Oh, yeah. I would love to, like, slam a fishbowl, get tanked in a parking garage. Right. And then just be like, keep, well, yeah, I don't know why alcohol worked its way into it. I haven't been drinking very much. Uh, the Onion had a really great headline, which was about um, people setting up tables on the L.A. freeway to kind of poke <laughs> fun at this parking garage. So, like, I get it. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm just an optimist in this moment, Daniel. Mm -hmm. Except when it comes to restaurant names. You know, Amanda, I've had a lot of thoughts on the whole eating out thing. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I was getting, I was, I was swirling around the drain. I just, I'd realized that I had some, in terms of like eating on a patio, I'd had a barrier where I hadn't done it. So I just wasn't doing it. And then, you know, I actually ate for the first time with my mom downstairs at a, at a dim sum place. And it was really nice. And then the floodgates uh, opened. And I, I just, I, I think I kind of. I appreciate the black and white take that people have, which is like now is not the time to eat out and you end up workers having to work. I've just been talking to a lot of people who are very, very glad to be back to work and very, very glad to be making quite a bit of money uh, working patios. And I think for me, I realize that a lot of people don't have the opportunity to look at to like call restaurants ahead of time and evaluate how safe they are, evaluate what kind of precautions they're taking. But I just like, I mean, I think like everything, I'm not really interested in, in hard and fast reactions. I think mm -hmm. that every situation should be looked at individually. And yeah, I've been, uh, you know, I'm out there. Okay. Let's just say I've made some calls. Happy to hear it. And I've been satisfied with some answers. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm out there. We've talked about this before, but not all outdoor dining is created equally. No. You know, that... some places are pretty lax and some places are great. I will say, though, that mm -hmm. it is nearly impossible. You know, I've just now seen this a few times. I saw it in New York with the outdoor drinking culture, um, but I've seen it is you start you start to have a few, you have a few drinks and you're on a patio it's really, mm. really hard to to keep caring. And you just see people, yeah, the looser gotta, people get, the closer they get, almost as a rule. Yeah, but again, you can so don't, control the situation yeah. you put yourself into. Don't drink in distance. That's what I would say. It's fair. Okay. Hey, Amanda, thanks okay. so much for taking the time. A Zoom call, you know, Zoom premium. Thanks, Vox Media. Yeah. We get to run over an hour. Um, and, uh, you know, this has been Eater's Digest. That's all we really have for you this week. Um, you know, if you like the show, please send us an email or something to digest.eater.com. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, do all the things. Uh, anything else you'd like to add? We're just DM Daniel. <laughs> what is it? Food and movies? That's my old. That's the old. <laughs> hey, don't tell anyone. DM Daniel on Instagram with all of your show ideas and pieces of feedback. <laughs> So then he can filter them to me. Yeah. I am just Daniel Janine, actually, not food and movies. Please don't look up food and movies. Okay. <laughs> All right. Bye.